Welcome to the check-in, a podcast by the Telos Group on the Telos channel. This is an every other week deep dive into the headlines from Israel, Palestine, and across the world, where we wade into the complexity of seemingly intractable conflict to discover the power of peacemaking to heal us, our community, and our world. This is your host, David Cadabaugh. Checking in from New York today, we actually are just doing a short update episode from the episode that we released this past Monday, detailing South Africa's case against Israel at the International Court of Justice. Well, today, this morning, we've just heard the ruling on the provisional measures that South Africa proposed to the court as part of its case. We wanted to update you on the situation now that we have that ruling, and I'm here with Greg to help us discuss. Greg, where are you checking in from? I'm at home in New York. Amazing. Well, let's dive right into it because this is pretty profound news. Catch us up. What did we learn this morning from the International Court of Justice? Well, I have the headlines. The opinion is quite detailed and long, and I haven't had a chance to review it um, in detail. So the basic headlines and significance is like this story is huge. The International Court of Justice um, delivered a resounding defeat, I think, to um Israel's claim. So first, it decided that it had the jurisdiction to hear the case, and South Africa had the right to file the case, the ability to file a case. And so that's significant because that means this case will likely move forward. Second, it found that there was plausible evidence presented that Israel is committing an ongoing genocide in Gaza right now. Um, Third, it found that it couldn't wait to hear the case because the case will probably take many years to litigate, but it had to say something now so as to prevent or hopefully stop what could be genocide from happening right now. So those three things taken together are pretty, pretty significant. But it went on um, and went went on like past that. And it said, you know, it it ordered Israel to stop any uh, genocidal acts, to hold any Israeli officials making statements that could be construed as genocidal or incitement to genocide, hold them accountable for those statements, classifying those as uh, potential crimes. And it also ordered nations around the world, third-party states from the U.S. to not be complicit in um, any potential genocidal action, which is significant as well. Um, Finally, uh, it requests a report from, uh, from Israel within one month's time to see progress that they've been making towards one sort of holding people accountable, protecting civilian life, um, and also allowing more humanitarian aid in. So even these provisional measures are not over. There's a month, you know, a month from today, we may hear, in fact, more from from, uh, the International Court of Justice, the ICJ. So tell us, what does this mean when the court says we are, you know, we're ordering Israel to stop these actions, we're we're asking you, requiring you to hold those committing acts of incitement accountable. What what could that even look like? As we discussed in the previous conversation, you know, Israeli ministers have said in even in response to the the ruling this morning that they don't intend to 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 listen or comply. What's this, what is this going to look like on the ground for, for Israeli government? You know, it could look like a, a number of things. It's really ramping up the pressure. So like already Israel and the United States were increasingly isolated on the international stage. This moment is like no other. You know, as we've talked about long on 
ago on this podcast and continuously, we're entering this age of multipolarity in which other major players and regional players around the world are challenging America's dominance on the global stage, right? So the fact that Israel and the United States are increasingly more isolated is much more significant at this moment. Like the United States doesn't want to bear the cost of that isolation. And in recent days and weeks, we've been seeing increasing public frustration expressed by even President Biden with Netanyahu and the Israeli government on how they're proceeding with this this campaign. So this ramps up the pressure significantly at the geopolitical level. The other thing that it does is it creates a number of other avenues for for action from civil society. Uh, You may be familiar with the BDS movement, the Boycott, Divestment, and Sanctions movement. That was a civil society and is a civil society movement that sprang up around the world after the last major case at the ICJ uh, regarding Palestine in 2004, in which the ICJ held an an advisory opinion that Israel's construction of a wall, what it calls a security barrier, but those portions of the wall built in the West Bank, not in Israel, not on Israel's boundaries, were illegal, must be torn down, all the settlements illegal, all of that. Like BDS came up as as a way to sort of like operationalize that ruling for civil society to say, hey, security council's not acting, governments aren't acting, we're going to stand up and, 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 and civil society is going to say, hey, don't engage with Israel, boycott, divest, sanction Israel until all of these things happen. As you know, that was quite a controversial and is a controversial movement. I think it will be much less so today. But one of the consequences is that you're going to see a lot more civil society action in international courts, you'll see action at the International Criminal Court, other action at the International Court of Justice. You'll see campaigns about corporations, governments that are complicit. You'll see the U.S. already. There's another case filed against the U.S. as being complicit in genocide. A lot of activity in the civil society sector and, and in courts, in you know, whether national or international, around the world, not just aimed at Israel, but also aimed at uh, countries that are perceived at as its enablers and partners in um, what um, the international court says is a plausible genocide, ongoing genocide. So what you're saying is that this provisional measure, while it may not necessarily have the authority to enforce um, compliance, it will create the pressure and it is a positive thing. I, I think it's really interesting to note how a lot of the international community, or at least the folks that I'm seeing, particularly on social media, are responding to this. Many of them are, are praising this decision as an opportunity to, you know, force compliance, to hold Israel accountable to these conventions. But other folks are saying it didn't go far enough. Where is there the language of ceasefire in this? I'm curious, how do you think about that question? Was it enough? What more can we be doing as concerned global citizens to help support ending this right now? Yeah, a few things. One, you know, like what it did call was explicitly for an end and a to and a prevention of any possible acts of genocide. So it was calling for these acts to stop. It did not call for a ceasefire. Ceasefire is, you know, the rallying cry of many people around the world, including myself personally. And Telos has been calling for bilateral ceasefire along with the release of all captives for some time now. But, you know, you can also say that linguistically or legally, when you're calling for a genocide to stop, it's not the stopping a military operation, it's stopping the genocide. That's what the 
the the court called for. Two, these provisional measures aren't over. Like it didn't just say like here we've ruled and now we're going on and we're going to hear the case. It said, hey, we want to see that Israel does these things and that third parties don't get complicit, and we want to see a report in one month. So we may see a different a different ruling one month from now. And so I think there are a lot of activists that are, you know, unhappy and, you know, that they didn't use the ceasefire language and that didn't happen. And certainly I think this would have been a stronger moment, but it's no less significant. This is a really critically significant moment. The other thing that it did in this ruling that I think is significant that many commentators are sort of glossing over is it really highlighted the obligations of third parties, from states to corporations that may be complicit in or benefiting from this possible plausible case of of genocide. And that is incredibly significant because by ruling the provisional measures today, where it said no more genocidal acts, hold accountable, you know, anyone using genocidal statements, let humanitarian aid in, and hey, everybody else around the world, you're, you know, guess what? It put a ton of people on notice. Put a ton of people on notice that this may not just be Israel. This may be much broader. And so I think there's some real significance that is overlooked. While I am sympathetic to, you know, the the claim that, hey, we, we just need to stop this now. If you've listened to any podcast that I've done for TELUS or elsewhere, anything, you know that I've been, I've been arguing for a variety of reasons, which, by the way, I believe are with it is Israel's interest, the U.S. interest, the world interest, and um, not just Palestinian interest, that this has to stop today. And the primary reason is the extreme historic suffering, horrors that we're, witness, we're witnessing right now, right? So like a lot of people would have liked the courts have said that. I think it may in fact be more significant that the court, you know, put this sort of like month lag in because what it's doing is it's it's really kind of building a coalition to say, look at like what's happening here, who's complicit. This is not just Israel. This is a number of parties. And what Israel are you going to do to stop this? It didn't rule on the underlying claim of like, you know, Israeli self-defense, which is which is a very simple and also slightly complicated question under international law. But this is not the last pronouncement. This is the first. And this is incredibly significant. It's helpful for you to lay that out because I think people are reacting in lots of different ways to this moment. But it sounds like there is a necessary moment of, for those of us who are observing, just to pay attention, to, to keep ourselves plugged in to you know how the international community, how Israel is responding to this. There's this month flag that we can come back and hear has there been progress but ultimately, you know, as as perhaps encouraging this ruling is for the enforcement of international norms, for the protection of human rights, we're not out of the bag yet, right? There's still a responsibility and an agency that each of us has in this moment to continue to advocate. When I woke up this morning, I looked, you know, social media and like group chats that I'm on, but also I went to, you know, New York Times and other papers. Like the headlines were like UN calls for you know, stop in the killing or humanitarian aid, but no ceasefire. That was the headline. That's a clear manipulation of what actually happened. And we need to say that eyes wide open. Like this was not about this case. The provisional measures weren't about a ceasefire. They were about whether one, the court believed there was a plausible genocide happening and two, whether it, it, it had the ability to hear that case and, 
and you know whether it was going to do anything about it and all counts it did it said very squarely like south africa has this right we're going to hear it and when you read and watch the media that we're consuming it's just kind of like it, the, the way that it's spun it's not inaccurate court did not call for a ceasefire but that's not you know exactly what south africa and the dozens of nations around the world to join south africa was looking for so your average person is going to like you know read this and hear this and they would not be wrong for thinking that like perhaps the international court of justice gave credence to some of israel's defense when that's not actually what the 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 opinion itself says and that's not what happened quite the contrary this is a very clear and huge defeat for israel before the court, even though the court did not use that specific language of ceasefire, right? So that's the first thing to pay attention to. Second is like, what's our role in this moment? Our role in this moment is really clear. This should give increased momentum for activists from every, you know, every stripe who are calling for human rights for to say, hey, like this is this is a win in the right direction. But you know what? This can also go south. And I don't want to be a fear monger again. I hate fear mongering, but this is a critical moment for the world. The only way out of this moment is to affirm and protect fundamental human rights for everyone. The only common language we currently have for that as a species is international law. And international law is really helpful and really clear on these points. There is there there's a lot of like, you know, gray areas in international humanitarian law, the law of war, because you're allowed to pursue, you know, war, you're allowed to defend yourself. There's this idea of like proportionality. But when you come to human rights, there's a whole thing in which it's actually black and white. There's a whole class of crimes that are unjustifiable. Use Kogan's in, in, in Latin, these peremptory norms. It's like, you can't, you can't commit mass rape and say, oh, well, you know, it was necessary in proportion to the threat their wives face. There's no defense for that. Totally unjustifiable. Genocide, completely unjustifiable. There are these class of war crimes, of crimes against humanity that you can never claim a defense for. So international law makes very clear you cannot intentionally target civilians. This case put everyone around the no world on notice. It said, hey, there is a plausible case of genocide here. That's what Israel may be doing. We're going to hear this case. And by ruling on the provisional measures in the way that Israel did, it said that there are many potential actors around the world, other states, other corporations that are complicit in this genocide. You are all on notice. This moment in world history is a fight for that very foundation of fundamental human rights to say that all life is equal and our international institutions are going to protect it. So far, they've been failing us. Right now is the moment for everyone to rise up and build the movement, the movement for human rights, to say these rights apply for everyone and we're going to do something about it. So this is the moment. This is an opening right here that South Africa in their courage to fight for humanity and human rights has provided all of us. It's our moment to seize it. That's a powerful word, Greg. Each of you listening, those of you who have followed us for a long time, those of you who have just begun to engage with our work, you are part of this movement. You are a peacemaker too. You have so much agency and influence in your life. 
And you, along with all of us, have a responsibility to help build this world in which all of us can flourish, in which our human rights are protected, and we defeat the lie that says that we cannot live together in mutuality. This is a pivotal moment for our world, and we're grateful that you're leaning in, standing with us for the rights of all, so that all of us can flourish. Continue to speak up, continue to stand up, continue to pay attention, as Greg mentioned on this last call. The world needs you right now. Thanks for listening, folks. We'll see you next time.